0: you're listening to the pay
1: chen show on in-depth radio news talk 1010 thanks for joining me this afternoon i have two great cookbook authors and uh, inspirational women on the show today coming up in the second half of the show just to let you know what you should stick around for i have professional home economist Marilyn Smith. You might know her from some of your favorite daytime shows like BT and City Line. She'll join me to talk about her cookbook, Homegrown, and what it means to cook with Canadian ingredients all year round. She'll uh, share some inspiration as we move into the cooler months of the year and uh, it seems that we're really not surrounded by much more than like apples and squash, but I'm sure she'll correct me on that. My first guest is a food writer, mother, and author of the popular cookbook, Seven Spoons, My Favorite Recipes for Any and every day, Tara O'Brady. It's so nice to finally meet you. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited. You know, it's funny because there's so many people that um, you end up meeting in in real life because you forge these kind of relationships online, uh, you know, through whether it's Twitter or Instagram, you know, we have mutual friends. So it's nice to finally be able to actually connect in, in person and have a conversation. It's so, such a treat. I'm thrilled to have you here. Now, your book, um, congratulations! It's it's really beautiful, and I just learned uh, that you actually did all the food styling, the photography yourself. That I did. That's not typical. I should let people know that. Usually, when people do something as labor intensive as a cookbook, you know, they do the recipes, and that in itself. Is a lot of work because you're testing it. You want to make sure you have all the measurements correct. You want to make sure the recipes are written in a way that's easy to follow. And usually uh, you would hire someone to do the photography and you would usually have someone else or maybe a few other people who actually do the food to make it look beautiful and
2: and drool worthy. Mm -hmm. But you took all of that on. I did. Um, well, part of it was because of the fact that I had been doing the site, the blog of the same name, Seven Spoons, since 2005. And with that, I would gotten into a rhythm of making dishes, photo- doing the photography, and then writing about them. And to me, there was a connection between all of those aspects. Even when it came down to writing the book, I have an office that's upstairs you know, on the other side of the house. Yeah. But I found I had to write in our dining room <laughs> because I needed to be near the kitchen. I Even if I wasn't cooking the thing that I was writing about, mm-hmm. somehow by being within that rhythm helped me find the words to talk about. It kept the vocabulary really loose and the words really there at the surface It was like your comfort zone, right? Exactly. That's that's your spot that's familiar. It's really something like that it's it's this whole cycle to me and that I want the words to reflect the way the photograph looks. So if on a day that I took a shot, it was cozy and warm and Mm -hmm. there was like lots of autumn light, I want the words to really reflect that. So I tended to write about it the day that I shot it. And so by doing it in my home, which is also what I did, um, it allowed me to give, I hope, people that sense that they're at my table and that this food is really part of a real day-to-day because it literally was my day-to-day for the time that I was writing the book.
1: Now you mentioned your food blog. So it all started with the food blog Seven Spoons, and you started that in 2005, yes. so just over a decade yes. now. And then people took notice. A lot of people took notice, actually, and uh, and then you're offered the opportunity to write the book. So, how would you describe your style of, of recipes? Because you obviously
2: it's something that stood out enough to other people to go, oh wow, this is something different well that's the thing that I've loved about this whole journey of writing the book and and doing the blog is that I don't have a great parameter of that great elevator pitch of a really simple way to put my food because I think a lot of us, and I'm one of these people definitely are really inspired by our emotions. I tend to crave food, mm-hmm. and those cravings change from one day to the other. So when it came to the site and when it came to the book, it was literally whatever I was craving that day <laughs> and sometimes that's inspired by trend, and sometimes that's inspired by my comfort foods from home and my or my husband's side of the family, which is vastly different than mine when it comes to culinary traditions. So this was literally what I wanted to eat at that time.
1: So let's talk a bit about your background, because you uh, you were born in Montreal, but yes. you grew up in the Niagara region, yes. and you still live there, yes, St. Catherine's. Mm-hmm. Um,
2: but your parents' background, what is that? My mother is from the north of India, and my father is from the south. And so very different culinary backgrounds. They speak different languages, the type of ingredients, the type of cooking is very different between the two sides of the family. So I had a lovely mix of that. But at the same time, I grew up with a mom that loved to cook. Mm -hmm. She was she had lived all over the place besides um, India and Canada, so she had a very widespread palate, and she was willing, as long as it was tasty, it was fair game. There was no such thing as our food and somebody else's food. If it was delicious, you know, it's on our table. So did you have a lot of food that was sort of like um, a blend of Indian slash Canadian, that sort of style? Well, a little bit of that. Mm -hmm. We were the type that had Thanksgiving dinner um, that had the roast turkey and all of that, and we also had like mutton plow on the table. (laughs) That was how we did things. But at the same time, we had Italian neighbors. They were from Calabria, and so oh, wow. I, and their young daughter was my best friend. Right. So as much as I was eating dal rice, I was having veal scaloppini, and I love Nutella off a spoon, and all of and we made Easter breads and put up pickles, uh, pickled peppers, and made wine in the basement, and all of that was as much a part of my growing up. And because of that, my mom at the same time I remember her making, um, you know, chicken wings with panko breadcrumbs in the nineteen eighties. Wow. And
1: you you were quite advanced, actually. My mom as like a young family. It, you know, in the 80s, yeah. You know, in in the Niagara region, like that's a lot of different flavors to be putting
2: Absolutely. together. We into were one very household. lucky. I, it was a family that loved to eat. As simple as that, my mom had to drive 45 minutes at the time at that time to get Indian ingredients, and we right. did. We would drive to Hamilton to go get cilantro or dunya at that time because we didn't have it in our regular market. But that was something that we had made a priority as a family. So mm-hmm. the idea of that food sometimes took effort. And that we made this into part of our days and the rhythm of our days was just a given to me. And so I grew up very much with that mentality. But then at the same time, you had people that were excited about food. We would plan our road trips, and especially through the United States, Whoa, where yes. they had, you know where they have at the back of the toll booth, um, mm-hmm. with the toll tickets, it would tell you the restaurants that were at each exit. and we not plan- know that. Oh, yeah, they do. <laughs> but is it like, the restaurants, are they like Denny's? Some KFC. of them would be. But <laughs> if there were things that we couldn't get in Canada, right. or there was something we were specifically craving, we would plan our stops. Really? Around I love that. Which exit had the best place to eat. And those are the type, that's how I grew up with my family. We were talking about lunch at breakfast and it wasn't an idea of, you know, greed or gluttony. It was because we we all ate together and mm-hmm. we were all excited about it and it was something we all shared. We were that family that was around hanging out in the kitchen because that's where all the action always happens. Yes. And it was that, so I think that I was brought up in that from a very young age and then that just kind of took me into all of this. So some days I understand that I want whole grains and I want to feel virtuous and light (laughs) and I want salads and collard wraps with quinoa, which are in the book. But then the next day I might want fried chicken and that's okay because to me it's all on this like grand leveling and I think my mom, my mom was really the one that taught me that. Well, I, it seems like your parents
1: were actually very adventurous eaters because, um, I just think in terms of my own parents who immigrated from Taiwan and at home, we, we only ate Asian food. Like, my mom wouldn't have had any idea what else to make, and it was only my brother and I as kids going to a school that's predominantly white and coming home and wanting to try craft dinner or to have, um, you know, the little mini pizza. Oh, but those that were exciting. Those were really exciting. Like, and those weren't the, the pizza, that, rolls? Oh, pizza rolls? Pizza rolls yes. were a big one. There was also pizza that you can microwave, which yes. was like, at the, <laughs> at the time, <laughs> it was like, oh, we can microwave pizza, and now I think about it, I'm like, that is the most disgusting thing I can think of, but it was, that, I mean, that was what I wanted to eat as a child. Absolutely. I didn't necessarily welcome the food from from my parents. Like mm-hmm. I didn't welcome the spices and that I ate it at home, but I didn't want to eat it outside of the mm-hmm. home. But you you were so, you were the
2: opposite. We were all over the place. Part of it was because my mom and dad's food was so different even though they're both Indian. The mm-hmm. foods that they were cooking were so my mother had to learn how to cook South Indian food, which is I think broke down a lot of those boundaries of the idea of what home cooking would be. And then at the same time, because she really did live all over the place. She had lived in Egypt. She was in the United States because of my grandfather's job. She was posted all over the world. So because of their entertaining Mm -hmm. in her home growing up and all of that, she was exposed to a great range of flavors. And then my dad was a ship's captain. So they were going to different ports, they were traveling places, they and then a place like Montreal yeah. where they learned about bagels and they learned about smoked meat and where was the best place to go for that. The, all of these things were as equally in their home. And so when I was taught to never think about boundaries, when it came to it, what was able and what was available to us and what could be literally ours. Now, when you cook now for your
1: family, when you started the blog, you didn't have two kids. um, (laughs) And and now you do. So uh, when you're cooking and and you're cooking the recipes for the blog, and like you said, you kind of cooked what you were, were craving. But then when it comes to putting together the book, you... I'm going to assume, um, had to have a little bit more structure like, you know, the breakfast and maybe yes. there's desserts and there's mains and there's sides. Um, what did you draw upon to put the recipes together in a way that you thought this book is a really great representation of the foods that I love?
2: What I was really looking for was I was inspired by my mother's cookbook cupboard. She collected books and they'd be by the kitchen table and I'd read them like novels while I was eating, which was rude of me, but it's what I did. And now people just flip through their phones. Yes, so it I would matter. sit there and read and be scarfing down whatever she had made me. Mm-hmm. And I love the idea of what I consider cookery books, those go-to books that you gave a new family or you gave somebody who was interested in cooking, and it had a little bit of everything in it. So one of the things that had happened when I married a man who had an Irish and English background and whose right. family who had been in Canada for generations. and they talk about things like butter tarts and his father's apple p- cake that's made every single fall and had all this was that I had to suddenly learn what was going to be our food and what mm-hmm. does it mean to have a food repertoire because really and truly we don't cook the food of our parents anymore.
1: No, you're right. And, we don't. We don't take the time actually. I don't think as and often. I don't
2: think it's also passed down the same way that mm-hmm. we feel like you know Friday is fish night and it used to be that if you were on a street that most likely your neighbor was eating very similar foods to what you were eating but that's not the case anymore. So what happens when you're trying to find out what your food identity is and what's going to be our go-to comfort food or our go-to celebration foods. How do we come up with that? So Seven Spoons, the book, happened to coincide with 10 years of writing the site. And it was the 10 most changeable years of my life, going from single and a job outside of the home and, and all that to kids and marriage and all of these other things. So it was the, I consider the book, the condensed knowledge of those 10 years. They're like my cheat sheet notes that I'm (laughs) passing you of saying, this is what I learned of what it meant to be a home cook with all of those demands. And so with the book, I wanted it literally to be something that no matter what you are looking for, if you have 10 minutes to cook Mm -hmm. or it's a leisurely Sunday afternoon – you can find something. If it's a celebratory day or it's an everyday night where the idea of cooking makes you want to pull out your hair, you can find something. So it was really that, that I wanted a book that was useful, that spoke to these needs. And also, I think as Canadians, we are so embracing of the like diverse influences that we see in our everyday lives. We're seeing it in food media. We're seeing it in Mm -hmm. restaurants. We're seeing it in our friends and what other kids are bringing to school. My kids are telling me about, and we really love, I think we're now at a stage where we want that in our own homes. Yes. So I I wanted a way that you would say, I've heard of this ingredient Mm -hmm. or I've heard of this dish. How do I do that? And so this was something that gave you a little bit of it rather than sometimes it's scary to buy a book that's devoted to one topic.
1: To one, yeah, It can be intimidating to buy a book that's devoted to one type of cu- cuisine, one that you have perhaps never... Uh, cooked from before exactly. and then you may not have all the ingredients so uh, after the break actually Tara I want you to talk about uh, some of the your sort of your pantry basics because I flipped to that section of the book and I thought ah this tells me a lot about the recipes <laughs> in her book and you and I want to talk a bit more about the different influences that you have in your recipes so we've got like Middle Eastern Indian, Asian and then Italian like you mentioned from your neighbours so Tara's going to stick around with me after the break you're listening to the Pay Chen show here on In Depth Radio News Talk 1010 <laughs> You're listening to The Pay Chen Show on In-Depth Radio, News Talk 1010. Welcome back to the show. Food writer, mother, cookbook author, blogger, Tara O'Brady is here with me. Uh, She's got plenty of writing credits beyond your blog, Seven Spoons, um, and your book, Jamie Oliver, Bon Appetit, The Guardian. I should also mention that your book, Seven Spoons, My Favorite Recipes for Any and Every Day, has been nominated for a Taste Canada Cookbook Award. So congratulations. Thank you so much. What was your reaction when you heard about
2: the nomination? I was kind of floored. <laughs> well, you're in good company. Like I mean, I mentioned that Marilyn Smith is coming know, on the show. Next exactly. And she's also that. in this exactly category. That. And that was pretty much my reaction. Of <laughs> is this a mistake? I'll take it. But it was very flattering. It's really kind.
1: The name Seven Spoons. That's also the name of the blog that you've had since 2005. Uh, what's the story behind
2: that? It's a bit of a touchy-feely. Okay, <laughs> so should sure. I get
1: some tissue because I'm well, a, a fire. Well, it's,
2: it's a funny thing. Um, at the time, I was working in a completely different job. It was corporate communications, and I loved my work, and I worked with great people, but I knew it wasn't the thing that I loved. And um, my boyfriend, who's now my husband, mentioned this funny thing called blogs and said, well, here's this great opportunity to get back to writing in your own voice and you know, maybe build up a portfolio, maybe just get back into the habit of writing. And one evening that we were talking about it, I happened to be sitting and reading food magazines, which I do a lot. (laughs) And um, I noticed that the person who was writing the editorial was mentioned that she was seven years older than me. And seven is a number that has just appeared in my life a lot with auspicious results. Mm -hmm. And so I said to my boyfriend, I'm giving myself seven years. And in seven years, I want to be doing something that I love, that makes Mm -hmm. me feel this good, that how obviously enraptured she was with what she was doing and how fulfilled she seemed to be. And I said, I'm giving myself that deadline. And Spoons just happened to go sound good with it. Yeah, it so does. It's it, it a great one. There you go. And so it was just a bit of a personal goal and truthfully when I named the site, little did I know that 11 years on, I'd still be doing it and that it would be on bookshelves under that name. But yeah, that's where it is. Let's talk
1: a bit about the influences, the different flavors um, in the book. I, I love the recipes um, that are in there. There's like fatoosh with fava beans and labneh. There's baked eggs. Eggs, North Indian style, um, you know, non bread, pakoras. So you've got all these different flavors that are incorporated in there. There's, you know, even some like Vietnamese flavors and things um, of that sort. So when you were putting it all together, was it just, a, was it like, you know what? I love Vietnamese cold rolls. I'm putting that in there and on my, you know, with my take.
2: It was a little bit of that. It, as I said earlier, um, I it was things I create. I tend to be a greedy food writer. That <laughs> it is. That's the way. That's what gets me excited about it. It's not really about what's anything else. If this is the thing that I want to eat, it was also because I felt like it was reflective of what I was seeing in markets. And one of the things about the book is, as eclectic and as international bent it might have. I don't live in a really big town, and my thing was I needed to be able to get all the ingredients in a regular grocery store. Okay, because I was going to ask you about some of those spices. I can. I you can. It's all I the can. Indian
1: spices,
2: the the, the dukkha, the all yeah. that. Yeah. Well, the dukkha you make yourself. Okay, but the components of it are very simple. They're mm-hmm. things like cumin and coriander and hazelnuts. In my version of it, those are fairly common. And, and sesame seeds; mm-hmm. those are things you can find in a regular grocery store. You of course, if you go to um, Something like an Egyptian market, you'll find it pre-made. Um, but that was my thing: was that I said you didn't always. Ha- Who has the time always to go to a specialty store? And I must tell you that the bulk stores, and I think we know the name of one yes. that I'm thinking of, <laughs> is an amazing treasure trove. The mm-hmm. amount of spices that you can find there these days, and in, in my little town that I'm able to find, that was really what it was. So it wasn't just my own desire to be esoteric or somehow interesting and said, I'm going to be um, neat and, and ahead of the curve by going for something. It was, I could now find these things. So someone's cooking them. And also I was thinking, is somebody walking down that grocery aisle and going, what do I do with this? Well, I think that's the other thing, right? You look at yeah. something, you go, "I." Don't that's interesting. Know what that goes into? Exactly. Or you see it on, um, you know, you see it on a restaurant menu, mm-hmm. and you think, "I really like that." Now, how do I replicate that at home?
1: Well, think of something like harissa, for yeah. example, um, which I remember reading. I think it was like the 2015 flavor, <laughs> it's, you know, and it's not new, but it became a bit more mainstream. Yeah. So when I, when I see a grocery store brand yes, making that mine. ingredient yes. so i remember seeing one for example where it was like hummus with harissa i was like whoa okay yes. now this is now it's a regular thing just <laughs> that's like that's my litmus lit, test <laughs> as well so but not everyone knows what it is and some people might be intimidated when they see it so you
2: for example have an easy recipe for what is it used for well harissa or it can go either way harissa or harissa it is a north african spice paste it's specifically tunisian and it's one of those things that will change from household to household or city to city mm-hmm. but basically it's a chili paste Um, The one that I use has a mix of dried and fresh chilies. Sometimes people will put sweet peppers in it, Mm. but I'm not personally a fan of sweet peppers. (laughs) So to give that little bit of vegetable body to it, I Mm -hmm. add tomatoes. Um, nice. Because I like the sweetness, I like the acidity. If you don't want it, and it also has a bit of coriander seed and cumin in it, and a lot of fresh herbs, I use parsley and cilantro stems and leaves in it. So it's this fragrant, um, beautiful paste. And I, if you are buying it in the store, I prefer the paste over the dry mixes. Mm-hmm. The one that you can get in a little toothpaste tube is yeah. one of my favorites. Okay, and I think that it is a brilliant thing when it comes to a fat. So if you put it in something like an aioli or a mayonnaise, Mm -hmm. it's beautiful there. It's brilliant with eggs. My favorite egg sandwich is with like a little bit of harissa underneath the egg and you have like a a little oozy. Nice. I like it already. Exactly. A little bit of like manchego or some sort of nice little melting but a little bit of a stronger cheese and some bitter greens. That is my absolute favorite egg sandwich. Because when you have something that has a little bit of fat to it and Mm -hmm. then you have the spice, it kind of the whole flavor just blooms and blossoms and even though it has heat, it's not like in your face. It's not not crazy spicy. No, you can make it it, crazy spicy if you want to, of course, but it is one that has a ton of depth to it. It has a lot of flavor behind it. So actually, also, you can use it in things like meatballs Mm -hmm. or if you're doing like a tomato sauce or something like that because it just gives it a little bit of an interesting, something you don't expect, a little bit more herbal, a little bit of different spicing, but at the same time, you can take something you really know, like a a simple meatball. It works brilliantly with a turkey meatball, but also like lamb, Mm -hmm. something that has a little bit more personality to it. It's really, really nice with that. Now, just because we have a little bit of time left, I wanted to mention that you had,
1: you have one of like the hottest recipes on the internet, <laughs> one which I made on the weekend. So I love a good chocolate chip cookie. I think I don't know anyone who doesn't. Um, and I've never had a really favorite one. I've always, I, I'll read a new recipe and I'll rip it out and be like, okay, I'm going to try this one. And your recipe from your book actually won over a blind taste test of 10 top chocolate chip recipes um, that BuzzFeed did. And I have to tell you, it was amazing. <laughs> it was really, really great. So, congratulations! Thank you on that. I mean, like you beat out recipes by like Alton Brown, Bon Appetit, Momofuku Milk Bar. I mean, that's
2: impressive. It was one of those things that, um, to me, first of all, I've loved chocolate chip cookies since I was a teenager. It was the <laughs> first thing I baked. I I tended to go towards baking because mm-hmm. my parents were such great cooks, so baking was like my area yeah. because they did everything else really well. And so I thought if I was going to do a chocolate chip cookie recipe, because there are so many great ones, that I felt that it had to be something that was adding to the conversation. So this is a melted butter cookie, which is not something you often see. That's the first thing I noticed. My this yes. is different. And also the fact that you can get it, that means that nothing else has to be fridge cold. You do not yeah. have to get anything out early. You can be from start To cookies in like 30 minutes, and it's bowl and spoon, no mixer, yeah. nothing. and it's fantastic. Yeah, and that was for me when you, you know you really, either really need a cookie or yeah. you have like a bake sale tomorrow and you forgot about it, though that I needed a go to great cookie. It is fantastic.
1: I mean, if there's anything to the first thing, if you want to open uh, the book and, and make something from um, Seven Spoons, is you really have to try this chocolate chip cookie recipe. <laughs> um, Tara, thank you so much. That's gone very quickly. I do want to let people know as well that you are one of the Globe and Mail's um, like food contributors, yes, right? Yes, I am.
2: Okay. So what's the recipe coming up? I will have. Well, I work with two great sections. First, in life, I will just had a goat palau that that was really inspired by my mom and my paternal grandmother. Mm-hmm. So that will be out on just past Wednesday, and then uh, coming up in the style section, I'm part of the four group of chefs um, series that's called Kitchen Cabinet, and for that, I have a North African spiced tomato and roasted squash soup. Wow. And there is a method for the squash. I have to tell you, my friend Molly told me about, yes. which will change your life when it comes to winter squash. Really? Yes. Okay. I'm it, just like. Like I now I really I really want to know. Because I hate working with winter squash and you're wrestling it and you have a knife and it's you're really pretty hard. positive you're yeah. gonna injure someone, this She's will gonna... absolutely change everything. Okay, so it's gonna be in the Globe and Mail. It's in the Globe and Mail. Okay, excellent.
1: <laughs> Thank you so much, I Thank Really you so appreciate much for it. Having Good luck me. at the um at the Taste Canada Awards. Thank so you. So that's uh Tara O'Brady. The book is Seven Spoons, my favorite recipes for any and every day. Coming up after the break, we'll have a chat with Marilyn Smith. You're listening to the Pay show here on In Depth Radio, News Talk 1010. <laughs> 10 show on in-depth radio, news talk 1010. Welcome back to the show. To continue with today's theme of inspiring and talented women, my next Ooh. guest also has a cookbook that's shortlisted for the Taste Canada Cookbook Awards, professional home economist Marilyn Smith, whose book is Homegrown, Celebrating the Canadian Foods We Grow, Raise, and Produce. So big congrats to you.
0: I am so excited because this book is really important. It's the only cookbook ever that anybody wrote that has all Canadian ingredients. And no one's done out. that no yet? No one's done that. Come like, on. No, no, because they'll have olive oil in it. And like, we don't grow olives oh. or they'll have, you know, pomegranate seeds. Well, you know, we oh. don't grow pomegranates. Yeah. So it's all the ingredients except for obviously the condiments because then it would just be... Like really boring, right?
1: (laughs) A little bland, perhaps. A little little bland.
0: What do you mean, no pepper? Anyway, so uh, yeah, so all the ingredients are Canadian ingredients. Yeah, so I'm really proud of that. So to get acknowledged for that, it was like, woo! (laughs) I knew, I know you're very excited. I saw it all over social media, Um,
1: and you know what it is. I think it is a very exciting thing because even uh, you know, as Tara mentioned, who was just in here with her book, like she was. You know, she was thrilled also to to be recognized. is is quite amazing. It,
0: it really is. And I found out a really weird way because we were going to TIFF, my my best friend and I, and we were just sitting watching a film. And I went to see, you know, and I had forgotten that that was the day they were going to list it. And they they had a Q and A in the front, and there was these two Spanish actresses answering questions. And I looked at my email, and I started <laughs> to cry. And, and she looked at me. She goes, "The movie really wasn't that sad." I went, "No." <laughs> No, I got shortlisted, and I was like weeping because I didn't wow. expect it, and it was just like it was that much of a surprise. It was to that you? much of a surprise to me. Yeah. Wow. Oh. Yeah. Now,
1: um, professional home economist. For for some people listening, they're going to go home economist. That's a blast <laughs> from the past <laughs> <laughs> Because it's just it's not something that I don't I don't think most kids are taught it
0: anymore. And this is why our health is going down the <laughs> toilet. You know, no, seriously, because when they got rid of mandatory home ec, they've mm-hmm. actually done a correlation. And this is science. I'm not even making this up. So as the mandatory home ec went down, our health got worse because we now don't really know how to cook from scratch. right? And so we have generations of moms teaching their kids not how to cook either. And so, and, and it's, it's not their fault. It's just that no one made it mandatory. It was too expensive or for whatever reason. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I am a blast from the past, but I'm trying to bring it back so that we can help Canadians get healthier.
1: Well, I I had home ec in school, but I mean that would have been um,
0: late eighties, I guess, yeah, in, yeah. in Nova Scotia. So I'm not sure when it, they got rid of it. It's but. provincially; it's all over the map. Okay. So some, as a matter of fact, in Alberta, they still have a life skills course. Oh, that's So good. and we have you know electives like there's it's called family studies in Ontario. Mm-hmm. Uh, so you can I, I actually made my son take it, even though he learned how to cook from me. Right. But it's really an important life skill learning how to cook.
1: I do. Re- what I remember about home ec was that it was half a year, uh, so it was like a one term right. course. For or in junior high. The other half was woodworking, wood yes. shop. And um, I don't have, I don't make, retain any skills from the wood shop. <laughs> but I do remember in home ec, it was, it was like kind of simple nutrition information. But as a 13 year old, where no one has taught me that before, it's all new. And the other thing we did is we all sewed
0: aprons. Oh, I which, made it. I made a tote bag, which I still have. I, I still have your apron?
1: We also made little um, cloth, like satchels that look—they just look like an envelope. Oh, yeah. And I won't throw it out for some reason. It's hideous and I can't do anything with it. But I'm like, I made this and I will never sew again. Um, so we both agree that home ec is, is very important. So the recipes, you have 160 recipes. You focused on Canadian ingredients.
0: I have to assume there were some challenges with that. There was because I am a chocoholic. Oh. and so in the dessert section. Too bad
1: about those cocoa beans. <laughs> we don't grow them.
0: Yeah. Now I'm not saying never eat them. I'm just mm-hmm. saying I wanted to show Canadians what we could actually do with just the stuff we have. Right. So yeah, it was. I found it a little bit difficult uh, for the dessert section, mm-hmm. but you know the, the recipes are, are uh, they're all brought together by the members of the Ontario Home Economics Association. So I tested over 200 recipes and then picked the 160 best. Uh, and so you know I kind of sent. An assignment out to people, so uh, we have some fabulous desserts. We got lots of crisp and cookies mm-hmm. and pies, and there's a really great pumpkin pie. And I don't oh. actually like pumpkin pie, oh. but it's a really good recipe. Uh, actually, had something to do with it, but anyway, <laughs> like, it's, it's really quite it's stellar. It's now. wonderful. It's actually my <laughs> favorite No, uh, My note, anyway. So uh, that was challenging. The other one was there's no citrus, and you know, right, lemon so a little and bit lime. Of lemon is nice. I Whoa. know. No, so we used apple cider vinegar in the um. salad dressings and that I've been using apple cider vinegar for years and so that was the zip that it really needed for uh, a lot of the, the salad dressing recipes so mm-hmm. th- those were the two that I found you know well, what are we going to use instead of and, yeah. and, and I set parameters out to all the members so that when they submitted recipes I didn't have to change them I mean I, right. I, I tested them but the, you know I said no citrus just use apple cider vinegar and it totally worked there's a salad dressing in the book that uses ice wine syrup that's you can only it's nice it's, it's uh, from Niagara mm-hmm. and uh, yeah with the combination of the vinegars and all the other stuff—it's just—it blows your mind.
1: I like the the sort of challenge that it presented, and the fact that you st- still came up with this giant book, which is very heavy, full of—it's really heavy. It's, and you, it's you know, actually, heavy. you
0: bring up a really good point. Home economists are, are problem solvers, mm-hmm. and so it was really fun to put my science hat on and try to find a solution for how would we do that. Um, and, and just a sidebar for vinegar, there's yeah. actually a guy on Vancouver Island who makes balsamic. And so, is he? Yeah. So we I'm, actually I'm used going her.
1: there soon. Oh, my so gosh. Dr. Okay. I'll give
0: you his name. It starts with a V. He's Italian. Of course. That's a good start. And I totally over.
1: will track him down based on that. I'm just going
0: to Google <laughs> a guy named V. <laughs> you know what? I think it's in the book. I, I No, you know what? I did. I wrote his name in the so book. So he makes
1: balsamic vinegar. Yeah,
0: because he brought the barrels over. Ah. And he makes his own vinegar. That's under. cool. It is very, very cool. And, it you know, the, the people on the West Coast, they covet it because they don't want any of us, you know, Easterners to know because we will buy it all. Because No one from so the West
1: amusing. has told me about it. I so know. now you've
0: revealed this little secret. Go, if you're going to go to Vancouver, go into the Granville Market and there's a little booth mm-hmm. with like, you know, kind of cool things that uh, only yep. on the West Coast and you'll find it there if you don't make it to the island.
1: I'm sure there's only one booth in all of Granville Market that has a booth <laughs> of cool things from the West Coast. Thanks for pointing me in the right direction in every way, Marilyn. It's um, by the food court. <laughs> so you you focus on a, some, like, very obvious ingredients, fruits and vegetables that we're familiar with, um, you know, summer or fall. So, you know, in summer, we've got the nice corn, the asparagus, and the berries. Uh, this time of year, it's I, I joke, it's squash and apples. Um, but there's also other things that I see at the markets, and I like that I see them because I think it means that um, farmers are growing new foods, and also there must be a little bit of demand for them. So... Even things like kohlrabi, for example, which is something I'm like, I don't. When I first saw, them, I'm like, I don't, I don't know what that is. Um, are there certain um, Canadian foods that you wish people would embrace or eat a little bit more of? Because you know that we tend to stick to the the carrots and the potatoes and you know the butternut squash and that sort
0: of thing. So I love Brussels sprouts, and they I love are, Brussels
1: sprouts too. Okay, I well just then made there's two of us.
0: Okay, so and they're very maligned, parsnips and Brussels sprouts. People mm-hmm. usually love them or hate them, and those are two really good Canadian crops right now. And right now you can get them on the stalks. So the right. Brussels sprouts it's like little stocks, Christmas trees, don't they? Look cool. And yeah. whenever I show them, actually I'm going to do it on Cityline. city line. I'm going to actually hold up the stalk to go because people go, that's how they grow. A lot of people don't know how they grow. Well, because at the grocery
1: store that takes up a lot of room, right? Yes. So they just have the a box of Brussels sprouts, and you you know you
0: pick through. Them, but they're, it is cool to see how they it grow. It is cool, and they actually last longer on that stock if you buy them like that. Who has room for them? <laughs> how many fridges do you have in your house? Okay, I have two. Well, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> Anything else that uh, you think is. Yeah, parsnips. The- I mean, they're really yeah, high right in potassium. Yeah. They make a great soup. Uh, they are actually a thickener. So, if you put them in, oh, okay. you know, in a soup that you're not actually going to have the flavor of, you can actually use mm-hmm. like a thickener. Make the best gravy in the entire world if you roast a chicken or a turkey sitting on a bed of parsnips. Yeah. They caramelize, they go really dark, and when you peel. Puree that whole thing up, oh my, 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 my! Really, it's fantastic. Yeah,
1: so puree the parsnips with all the drippings.
0: Yep, get rid of some of the fat. Yeah, and puree all that, and then use that as a you know to actually make the gravy back in the pan. But it actually adds a lot of thickener, and sometimes you don't even have to add, uh, add flour. Oh, nice! So if you're you know if you're gluten free, that would be a good way to have a gravy.
1: Now, there's a lot of tips um, in your book. So even things like. <laughs> flour for example I'm like I know flour I know I know white flour and I know whole wheat flour and then I flip through this and I'm like what is oat flour and barley flour like there, it's quite a an index and, and glossary of of foods that Thank you. are probably healthy <laughs> <laughs> and that we should eat more of because I just you know when people go like, "Oh, it's kind of boring," or "I don't know what to make for dinner," it's the same old, same old. Well, there are there are other other things. So um, you're going to stick around because uh, after the break, I want to talk about some of the things that you explain in the book that I wasn't even sure of. So things like the difference between you know broth. And stock. I just felt like people use those terms interchangeably. And that it, would be wrong. That And <laughs> I'm not saying that I would use that term interchangeably. Uh, no. And even like one that, that frustrates me is um, sweet potatoes and yams. That gets mislabeled all the time. And I got to tell you, I actually don't really know which is which. I just call everything a sweet potato. But Marilyn is going to correct us on that. We'll be, we'll be set straight uh, after the break. We'll... We're going to basically know everything that's in this like 50 pound book. <laughs> You're listening to The Page Show here on in depth radio, News Talk 1010. The Page Show continues on in depth radio, News Talk 1010. Welcome back to the show. My guest is professional home economist Marilyn Smith. You might know her from many daytime shows like Breakfast Television, City Line. Also, the author of Homegrown: Celebrating the Canadian Foods We Grow, Raise, and Produce. There's 160 recipes in this book. Um, you've been shortlisted for the Taste Canada Cookbook Awards, which I know you're very excited about. Um, and we mentioned in the earlier segment that uh, some people will think you know the term home economist is a bit of a
0: throwback. Oh know. yeah, yeah. What is your goal as a home economist. So I do have a mission and it's to encourage Canadians to eat healthier one recipe at a time <laughs> by getting back into the kitchen and, you know, using recipes that I use, I created or worked with and they're easy. They're recipes. That they're, you know what? I, I've, I teased your... your uh, your technician that if he couldn't make my recipes, you know, he was like, well, we're going to have to hit him. So anyway, <laughs> I actually said something way worse. I, I Wasn't that good how I censored myself right it here? It really was. It was really good. Great. But because our recipes are really straightforward and easy to follow. So mm-hmm. I just want to encourage people to get back in the kitchen and make healthier choices.
1: So as we uh, tease to before the break is uh, the term broth. And right. then the term stock, which I feel are used quite interchangeably. It's like, I, I need some chicken stock to make this soup. Oh, what's that? It's some broth.
0: It, yeah, no, you're right. And so what, what broth is, is that it's one ingredient, a liquid that you would use to put into soups or gravies or to enhance something. So it would either be beef broth or chicken or vegetable, uh-huh. sometimes even have mushroom broth. But a stock is when they add a whole bunch of stuff. So so a chicken broth is just chicken, but really? a chicken Stock oh. is with when they make the, you know, they are going to boil a chicken, like a, not the bones, like a fresh yeah. chicken. And they're going to add some carrots and onions and celery and, you know, enhancing flavors and maybe yeah. a bay leaf and some seasonings. And so you get a thicker, hardier mm-hmm. base. So if you made a soup with a stock, you're going to get a bump of flavor out of the world mm-hmm. versus a, a broth. But the stock's more expensive. Right. You can make it at home, and we encourage people to do that. But, you know, it's more—it's an, another step. Right. And it might be another step to prohibit you from making this recipe. So I say use broth. You can buy it in the store, mm-hmm. Tetra Pak, can, whatever, and, and then just do that. But if you want to make a stock, good for you, or you can buy it, and there's some great ones on the market as well. Okay. What do you think about bone broth, that big trend of, like, people paying,
1: like, $8 for a cup of broth just-
0: yeah yeah, you know, it's here's the deal. <laughs> I think that healthy eating is all-encompassing, and if mm-hmm. you think you're going to do one thing and it's going to change your life, you're living in a dream world. Right, So I, I don't. World. I, yeah, it's, <laughs> it's really fun. It, Isn't it? It is. It's
1: expensive, though.
0: <laughs> it is, because people want quick fixes. Yes. And, and so, sure, go for it if you want to, mm-hmm. but you're not a bad person or a terrible mother or a horrible cook if you don't use bone broth. Right. So I just say, whatever works for you, do it. Mm-hmm. And if you want to, good for you. You know, send some to my house. I'll try. It.
1: <laughs> <laughs> so no, no, we'll give you Maryland's address after yes, the show. Yes, and
0: my credit card number.
1: <laughs> oh. The other thing we, uh, I wanted to clarify was the difference between because this is the season sweet potato and yams. Because I'll yes. see them at the farmers market yeah. or even at the grocery store. It would be like on you know Ontario grown uh, sweet potatoes. I'm like, this is fantastic. I love I love sweet
0: potatoes, but maybe I secretly love yams. So no, you really do love sweet potatoes okay. because that's the problem, people. <laughs> uh, all right. So a sweet potato mm-hmm. is that orangey or sometimes yellow mm-hmm. uh, flesh with a smooth kind of a peel on it. They are in- incredibly good for you. Like they are so incredibly good for you. A yam has got a hairy, Ooh, hairy, hairy, hairy outside, kind of a really hard peel, and you need a machete to basically cut it. It's a very starchy, white or yellow uh, inside. Oh. And yams are really from the Caribbean. You know, we do we grow? Re- no, yams? they're oh, not even close. Okay. You you have to live around the equator to grow a yam. But what happened is that somebody got the name mixed up a really long time ago, and they started Mm -hmm. using it interchangeably. Is it because there's something similar about the shape and the color of the skin? No. no, Okay. No, if you saw it, you'd go... You're on crack to think that that's uh, a sweet potato, not a yeah. yam, you know, or whatever. No, I think it got misnamed because um, th- our, our, our neighbors to the south mm-hmm. call them yams. Yeah. And so when we import them, when our local ones are gone, on the box, it'll say yams. And so when it gets scanned into the computers of oh, grocery stores, I, I think they say them yam, But they're sweet potatoes. But they're both good for you? No. Okay. They're different. So it would be mm-hmm. like saying, you know, is um, is a, a lentil as good for you as a Chocolate peanut? Okay. You know, <laughs> y- yeah, no. <laughs> right. Well, that yeah. might have. So they, they both have their qualities. But um, a, a true yam what, mm-hmm. with the hairy stuff is yeah. more of a starchy vegetable. Okay. So more like a potato, to be honest. Oh,
1: okay. Yeah, but not All a right.
0: sweet potato.
1: All right. Okay. I'm getting
0: it. I'm picking up what you're throwing okay. down. Okay, good. <laughs>
1: okay. There's also... Uh, as a home economist, and I know that this is a large part of what you do when you're doing media is, you know, trying to educate people and make food easier mm-hmm. and, and simpler. Mm-hmm. And I know, um, a big part of that, even in your book is you have this great section on like, on, on storage tips, for example, because it is, even for myself as someone who works in food, I try to be very conscious of not buying more than I need. And I hate throwing things away. I hate throwing away that half bag of spinach just because I never felt like eating it. When we're shopping for things, uh, it can get a little confusing.
0: Things like whole wheat slash whole grain. I'm not does it matter? Are both good for me? No. Well, yes. Yeah, they are both good for you. But the difference between a whole grain mm-hmm. is that it's got all three components. So it's the bran, the endosperm, and the germ. And whole wheat flour only has the bran and the endosperm. It doesn't have the germ. And the wheat, the germ is where most of the nutrition is. Oh, so
1: really? So when you're
0: buying whole wheat bread, you yes. want to either say that it says 100% whole, whole, whole wheat bread, whole grain, and inside it's got to say include the germ. Or, or look for stone ground whole wheat bread. So stone oh. ground is when they grind the whole thing. So that whole grain is still there. The reason they do, they, they take the germ out is there's fat in the germ. It's vitamin mm-hmm. E, actually. And it would accelerate uh, a product from going bad. So oh, okay. you have to store that bread never in the fridge, on the counter, and only buy enough. You can actually store it in the freezer. But don't store, store bread in the fridge. It accelerates staleness. Don't store it in the fridge, really. Mm-hmm. I always
1: thought that that was to like help it last a little bit longer. Well,
0: it won't go moldy, but it'll make it stale. So is your pick. <laughs> I, you do know, you want stale or yeah? Do you, you want-, want mold? Yeah, right. <laughs> well, you can eat stale. But <laughs> um,
1: what what Canadian ingredients are you excited about now? Are there well, certain things that you kind of go like, ooh, I want to put this in more dishes or I want people to...
0: Eat no, that's a really, bit. you know, yeah, You, uh, I, I've thought about that because I, I guess because I use so much stuff all the time, yeah. I'm maybe not as excited anymore, but I mean, there are certain things like I have never cooked with chestnuts and ooh. and it's a chestnut season, right? Yes. And so I really think I would like to play with that because I mean, yeah. there's chestnut trees, I could go like run into my neighbor's yard and steal them. I mean, it would you be, should, you know, free. should because they're very expensive. <laughs> <laughs> (laughs) (laughs) Would you live again? Get them them before the squirrels dig them up. Anyway. um, So, yeah, I think I'd like to play with chestnuts. But there's so many... You know, we are so blessed that we've had such a a wonderful variety of stuff. So maybe trying different varieties of apples. Mm -hmm. You know, if you always buy a Mac and you've never had an Ambrosia or a Honeycrisp, Mm -hmm. then you don't know what you're missing, you know? And so... You know, I really think that we've done so well in, you know, what we produce and encouraging people to eat it. So I'm sorry. I actually think about this all the time. Like, I don't come across a lot of Canadian ingredients that I went, oh, wow, you know, (gasps) because I've been using things like flaxseed and ham parts Well, I was just going to ask you about that. Those are
1: like, I I, I refer to them as like toppers. Like, they're things that you could add. Like, if I'm eating a bowl of, you know, yogurt and granola, I'm like, okay, I'll add a little. Because I keep both of them in my fridge. Not everyone keeps them in their fridge. I'm one of those people who is easily... uh, um, distracted in, in health food stores. I'm like, oh, oh it says it's good for me. Shiny. I'm going to buy this. <laughs> All right. I mean, it's high in
0: fiber. I, I feel like I eat plenty of fiber, truthfully. Well, I am the queen of fiber. You know that. I actually have a banner. And uh, yeah, well, I've been using flaxseed for 15 years, so I don't think of it as a new product, mm-hmm. but grand flaxseed is one of the healthiest things that you can do. There's uh, fabulous research going on in Manitoba and that they're really looking at um, the benefits versus uh, and, and your and heart health. And so you want to aim for two Two tablespoons of ground flax seed a day, ground, really? or it's called a laxative. If mm-hmm. you eat a whole seed, it's just hello, goodbye, it and goes out right we go. You. Yeah, so ground up, you absorb all the nutrients as well mm-hmm. as getting that fiber. And and ham parts are really good too. I mean, they're both fairly interchangeable, but ham parts have a bit of a, and I like them as a topper, but I can't bake with them because mm-hmm. they have a little bit of a bitter edge on them. But the, the flax seed I bake with all the time, I've got muffin recipes that are equivalent to one tablespoon of ground flax a day. Uh, it's almost a, a waste to consume the whole, which I think a lot of people do because you can buy them whole,
1: so yes. they add them to their foods no. whole, but it just goes right through you, right so, through. and they're not the cheapest. So no, no, you grind, grind, grind up. them up
0: in a coffee bean meal, although there's a, a company in Saskatchewan that has a, a, a new way that they've sort of fractured them, mm-hmm. and so you don't have to grind them, but unless it says that on the package, you know, you have to grind them up.
1: What... um what are you, what, well, I guess, because you don't get super excited because you've been working with these foods for so long. This is the season. We're in fall. It's, it's apples and squash and <laughs> parsnips. Uh,
0: what is something that you would love people to cook with? Well, I really want them to add more fiber to their diet, so okay. I would love them to add ground flax seed into their baking. I think that would okay. be a wonderful step forward. An or easy just way to do it. Easy yep. way to do it, or sprinkle it on your cereal. But you know that the, the beta carotene, which is uh, the vitamin that, that makes things orange, mm-hmm. uh, is so good for your long term health. So there's so many different squashes, and I think a lot of people go into the grocery store and they see a butternut or an acorn, and they don't. It's always don't, the same ones. It's it, well, yeah. they're they're the most commonly used. But mm-hmm. there's something called a turban, and there's something like even spaghetti mm-hmm. squash, yeah, or there's a, A little one called a sweet potato squash. It's really tiny. I'm I'm going to try that. that.
1: I oh. this summer yeah. I subscribed to a CSA box that, right. so I got gross I got um, local produce delivered every week and it meant I did very little grocery shopping mm-hmm. but because of that I would end up with things I'm like ah celery root I hate this vegetable but it would force me to try to find a way I still don't like it by the way but I did I did try and cook it up um, and the farmer dropped uh, a box off and he's like you're gonna get squash I'm like is it butternut squash And he's like no it's called a sweet potato squash I'm like I don't understand well it's
0: because it's, <laughs> it's a adorable. similar and it's very good. It's very, very good. So I'd like you to examine it, explore the wonderful world <laughs> of squash. <laughs> and you're right. There are
1: many out there, and we do tend to gravitate towards what we know because we, in our mind, I think we're looking at it and going, I know how I'm going to prepare it. So you're like, I know I'm going to roast it. I know, I know I'm going to make it into a soup, whatever it may be, but you can interchange. And I absolutely agree with you because having had a farmer drop off um, local produce to me every week this summer is really open my palate in terms of forcing me to cook with things that were grown here. I don't know that I had an
0: avocado all summer and I, got a, and I love avocado but it's because I had so much locally grown stuff that I had to get through before it went bad. And you ate seasonally and when you eat seasonally, every season is a new exciting so I don't eat squash in the spring or the fall I mean mm-hmm. in, the fall, I, sorry, in the spring and the summer and I don't eat raspberries in the, in, in the winter unless they're frozen Canadian ones. So it's every month, every season is like, yay, something new to cook with. Yeah, I'm singing well, they- lot oh you, are, you are
1: it's a little musical here um thank you so much marilyn congratulations so much on the book and and on your nomination um if you want to find out more the book is called homegrown celebrating the canadian foods we grow raise and produce and um, my guest was marilyn smith you can always catch her on tv during the day many many times i find it's I really so good. much fun thank you so much welcome. if you want to catch podcasts of the show you can do so on my website paychen.com have a great weekend everyone